0: Thanks for tuning in to the World XP Podcast. If you're enjoying the content, please drop us up, drop a like, and let us know your thoughts below in the comments. Also, please consider supporting our podcast via the link below. It really helps us out. Welcome Davis to the World XP Podcast. I only need Didi, and then I'll have the entire family that have that have been on that have been on the pod. Um, but I was listening. Congratulations to Davis. He just got his PhD, or was it doctorate of physical Akra. therapy? Yep, doctorate of physical therapy. So we call him Doctor Dave now, uh, yep. kind of, kind of shout offering. out to Dallas, yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> but um, welcome, dude. How you doing? Good, man. Doing well. Just uh, prepping after all the the last week of relaxation I've had. Now I gotta just have boards. That's that's left for What's my journey. boards. My my boards. is basically a national exam, uh, for licensure. So obviously, I got the doctorate from the three years I had a school. But then I have to take a two hundred and fifty multiple choice question test that is encompassing all three years of schoolwork uh late July, and it's basically you
0: have to pass it. I feel like that's excessive. It's a lot like you you go you went to school like yeah. what else like how much does a test cost? Does the test cost oh how God. much does it cost it's It's a good
1: amount. <laughs> dude because see Aww. because if you if you prep for it here's the thing if you prep for the test like if you didn't really if you can't recollect everything you learned in three years some people can do it i'm not one of them you have to pay for like practice tests and stuff uh along with the with your school program because sometimes they'll help you mm-hmm. but yeah that's like an extra you know 300 dollars because the practice tests each are like 100 dollars. is that national yep
0: like so you only have to do it once and then you're done.
1: Yep. So once you once you pass it one time, you'll never have to take it again. Um, obviously you have to continue to do continuing education courses and stuff, uh, to maintain your licensure and stuff.
0: But other than that, it's it's a one and done. Thank goodness. I wasn't I wasn't expecting to need to go on a mini rant for two minutes in. Why I don't get I don't understand the education system in this in this country I don't get it. Like you go you pay all this money to go to school to learn all the stuff and then you graduate because you yeah. did well enough to remember all this stuff. But then they're like, nope, we need to be extra sure you're gonna remember all this stuff. And by the way, you have to pay for it. Like I don't ugh, I don't get it. Right. So then you have to take it one time and you know this I'm sure from from your PT school is knowledge changes. Like the guy that made up rice, um is for those listening rest uh icing compression elevation is like didn't he come out he come out and said it's not a thing anymore didn't yep. he, so like Basically. okay so so the test twenty years ago was like, oh rice rice right like and now it's uh, irrelevant so you need to take it one time and then yeah are you just is is not you but is your brain just stuck you're, you're, licensed, for, you're licensed for 2023. licensed for like it makes no sense I don't ah oh, it's so dumb okay. Yeah. All right, rant over. Yeah, um it is. I don't get it. That's that's why I don't want to go back to people keep telling me, Oh, you need to go get your master's or you need to go get your this or your that. And I'm like, why would I do that? I don't I can just go on YouTube and if I want to know something, I can learn it for free. Yeah. And then apply it. Like I got two guys, uh, Chris and Kevin, shout out to Chris and Kevin. They open their own personal training slash physical therapy slash like return to sport gym. Neither of them have um degrees in physical therapy but they are both they are both aside from the physical therapist that i worked with for my super long um adductor pubic ab injury they are better than like most physical like most physical therapists that i've seen like and it's and it's irritating to me because these two guys have to go out and prove themselves all the time because they don't have three letters next to their name. And that's not to disparage all the work that you did. But (laughs) there's it's the way that people are accredited now is like it just – like if you can pass the test, like I could study for the test and pass it probably. Like I know – I don't know as much as you obviously, but I know enough to probably – if I were to do all the practice tests, I have enough background knowledge to maybe say – Maybe it would take me three times to pass it, but it's like I don't know. It's it's very irritating. Anyways, congratulations on your, <laughs> on your, on, on your degree. Uh, yeah, but it, yeah, I don't know because there's so much there's so much information out there, and as you know, also physical therapy encompasses. For those listening, it encompasses everything. And for high-end athletes, if you go to a physical therapy like clinic and they're like, Oh, have you tried stretching this? Like, yes, thank you. I did. Lots of times. It's like the first question, did you turn it on and off? Yes, I did. Thank you. So I like that return to sport niche feels like it's doesn't exist. You have to go seek it out, right. really. If you're not playing on a professional team or a college team already. But even some of the college trainers, I'm like
1: Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's the tough thing right now is that, um, a big thing that PTs are trying to get into more is the return to sport, but then you have to also think about like ATs athletic trainers, because Mm -hmm. most of the time ATs also have a lot of the same, for the most part, fundamentals and backgrounds of science and stuff. So, uh, it's tough for us to kind of fit ourselves in, uh, into the sport, but, that's why we have become a doctorate program, because we want to really put ourselves out there that like we're legit, like we did three whole years to be doctors. Um, and so we can also collaborate with ATs and really maximize uh, these athletes and their return back, because a lot of times uh, the return protocols sometimes are too short. And then you have re-injury rates that are like significantly higher than where they should be, so that's something that, from what I have seen, is uh, something that's going on right now. But I'd like to get into the sports realm at some point uh, in my in my career, my upcoming, very upcoming career. So yeah,
0: you should, because there's not like the athletic trainers don't have all of the three years of schooling and knowledge that. you guys have um you need there's got to be some level of communication between athletic trainers and the physical therapists and the because it's like physical therapy gets you up to a certain point and then you kind of like ship them off to the return to sport and then eventually but there's certain things like not every protocol is goes the same in terms of so for me, my diagnosis it started with a oh, likesti pubic. basically the, the the tendon that connected the adductor to my pubic bone was was overworked. Yeah. and because of that I had a tear in my ab my lower abdomen. Wow. And so it didn't hurt. like it it would hurt where I'd get to 70 minutes in a game and I'd be like, all right, this is probably not good but I didn't realize the extent of what it was before I got the MRI. Um, And so I'm doing various things, trying to strengthen the adductor, blah, blah, blah. None of it was working. And then it ended up being, I needed to strengthen and activate before games, medial glute, which I never would have guessed that. Right. But now that I know it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but there's also a certain time that I have to go strengthen the adductor and the hip flexor before I can return to sport. And the, all three of those do not progress at the same rate. So there's almost like, a, what if one is not ready where the other one is not? is like, at what point do they start running again? And then, so that's where like the communication needs to come. And that for me has been, in my own experience, the biggest hurdle is yeah. like, is the communication between what, is, what are they actually ready for versus do they really just want to play again versus are we being too cautious and, like, some pain is not bad, but once you pass this level of pain, then maybe stop and all the various things that go on. So I don't know. I know you have not started your career yet, but these are just things I've seen, and I would like to know, do, like, is this talked about in PT school when you go through it, the communication, or, like, what what is – I don't I guess more broadly that we can get into what is PT school, but is that stuff talked about? Yeah,
1: it's, it's actually talked about a lot (laughs) considering the fact that, you know, we're, we're obviously in the medical field. We play a pretty vital role as movement specialists. So, uh, you know, in a nursing facility, it's like, we have to work with nurses and doctors. If we're on the, the field, you know, it's ATs, it's coaches, it's players. I mean, that's kind of a big component of any medical profession is you know how well can you work with the other professionals and treat them and respect them you know and kind of come to a on a consensus on okay what's what's the best solution for this player per se Uh, so it's really cool because a lot of my program actually is adding on making a four-year program which includes at so basically you get your doctorate in PT, but then you also get a master's in AT simultaneously, which is pretty cool. That's actually brand new. As soon as I left, they added that. Um, So it's definitely something that has been talked about. And I know some of my classmates were really passionate about like return to sport and wanting to work with athletes. And obviously in the PT realm, one of our uh, specialty areas is sports, and you can get a you can go do a sports residency, and it's basically like two thousand hours, which is a year, uh, maybe even two years, of you know going on the sidelines, whatever sport that may be, and um, and you basically get your specialty from that, which is neat. Uh, it's something that I've actually thought about when, especially when I first started PT school, because when I started was when Kobe passed away and he was like a big role model for me I I was obviously a soccer player as as you know Eric but I always uh sought out like quotes from Kobe and stuff and uh he actually had a physical therapist and she's like this renowned therapist and I always was like I want to be like someone like famous. Like I want to be their PT at some point. But obviously the steps to get to that would like take, you know, the residency. It'd probably take, you know, who you know. Like you'd have to have the connections to do that. Um, so it's a lot of time commitment, but um, it's a hot topic. I, I can say that much. We we going back to my classmates, we we wish that we had more of an opportunity to kind of dive into like, okay, return to sport, like kind of a sports course almost. Cause we talk about kids, we talk about, um, uh, geriatrics, pediatrics, kids. Um, and sometimes we have like prosthetics, orthotics, but then we don't necessarily go into the sports as much. Like we, we, one of my classmates talked about dosing, like dosing is a huge component. For athletes right you know if you want to do hypertrophy training if you want to do power training endurance training like all the sort i mean you got to be pretty good with knowing all those different variations um or modes i mean if you want to do plyometrics um so it's there's a lot there's a lot basically the moral of the story is that there's so much to unpack with that uh that it's it's something that I, I'm pretty interested in too at some point, but obviously where I'm at, at the very start of my career now, uh, I, I haven't really dove, dove into it as much as I want to yet, but, um, but yeah.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. I guess the, re- the reason why I ask is obviously because it affects me personally, but also yeah. when I, when I was in the physical therapy office, that was strictly physical therapy in, there's a lot of, uh, older people like you said and, and going through various oh like my knee doesn't work anymore whatever the case whatever the case be is right and there was a little bit of a like it just seemed like there was a gap in ability and capability and or not cap- not capability from like the therapist but the the protocols that they've built up of oh it's It's an ACL. So generally we need to strengthen quad hamstring, et cetera. Like the protocols that they've built up. Don't, they don't finish the, because the demands on the body are so much greater than just existing. Like, okay, I can sit down and stand up and I don't need to like hold the railing or right. It's different than you need to go on a 50 yard sprint 20 times in 90 minutes. Like it's it's different. So that's why I ask, but I, Obviously there's other parts to it as well. I forgot exactly where I was going with that, but, <laughs> um, oh yeah. So Kevin and Chris, basically what they've done is, so they're personal trainers technically, but like that's what all their certification and stuff is in personal training and nutrition and and those things. But there seems to be this line where personal training and figuring out muscle imbalances almost crosses within the, if you're injured, well, what is wrong? What, what caused the injury, if it's not just a, like a a freak tear or a contact injury, like what caused this injury? And then the, they, they are able to write the programs to, like, it becomes the same thing. When I went into physical therapy, it was essentially a gym workout for me. And so that's where that crossing seems to be, I don't know. It's an interesting like niche where it seems like nobody's cracked that like I write programs for you when you're injured that are designed to strengthen I haven't met that many people that are in that in that niche it is why I'm it was why I've been asking and been on this line of questioning and and been curious generally because physical therapy is like kind of that and personal training is also kind of that but they're also neither of them are that
1: yeah you know what I you know what I mean yeah yep. well technically we have the same initials PT <laughs> yeah exactly (laughs) we call them the the fake pts (laughs) because i mean because honestly like people that don't get through pt school like sometimes if they really want to utilize their skill set and be a personal trainer they can just go out and be a personal trainer and almost do just as well you know depending Mm -hmm. on how successful they are like within their community or again it goes back to like who they know dude they could do just as well as someone who worked their freaking tail off for three years and then when did their residency wherever and they're, they're doing just as well. So, I mean, it's sometimes it's dependent on that as well. It's, it's, uh, it's almost, uh, who, who you like as, <laughs> as much as I hate to say it, but, uh, that does play a factor, but it, it gives us, it gives us a bad rap because, um, you know, we, we, I don't necessarily, I think that protocols are, are excellent, especially if they're research based, Mm -hmm. but the nice thing that we also include with physical therapy is a biopsychosocial approach, which is basically that you can utilize like the physician and their approach to, okay, they had an ACL, like you said, okay, well, we know the muscles and you know what usually that looks like per the weeks, like how you ramp that up every week. But that also depends on the individual that you're treating. So that can vary. And you can always modify and change those exercises that meets not only your your patient's demands, but also like what they're doing activity-wise, like where are they getting back to. Um, And that's something that's unique for us is that we get like a whole hour with the patient. like doctors necessarily don't most of the time they're they're booked up you know five minutes 20 yeah 20 25 30 people a day um and the nice thing is we actually get some time to actually get to know an individual and like meet their needs for the most part so i'm, I'm sorry that it's gotten a bad rap for you so far but eric when i open my own clinic soon
0: you it's get it's not a bad rap charge. elisa Al- <laughs> Alisa, the one that um she's at yeah. uh, virginia sports medicine where i went for for the ab and the other stuff she was great like yeah. i have no it's not that pts like physical therapists have a bad rap for me yeah. it's that it's that there's a gap in between one and the other and when you get a really good personal trainer who also has a lot of background in return to sport and the other stuff yep and you have you have a physical therapist that doesn't which she did so that was good yeah but for somebody like me that gap is an issue because i'm not on a team where i can go to the team doctor and the team like because there's people that are still playing like that are still doing things at a high level that don't have access to those people it's not that it's got a bad rap yeah at all by any stretch of the imagination for i i imagine that i the situation that I am personally in is a very small percentage of the population that needs, that needs that. Like mm-hmm. what I needed in, within that recovery process is very niche. Yeah. That's why I'm so, that's why I'm saying that like, I just noticed yeah. that there was a gap there. No, for everything yeah. else is you guys, you guys do not have a bad rap to topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. I also, I also know plenty of personal trainers that I'm like year full of shit or I have seen them like the V shred guy. you seen that guy. Yes. Nonsense nonsense like there's plenty of personal trainers that are full of shit so don't exactly. you guys are fine don't worry about that yeah i will i will say this though that's an interesting point is that for a very
1: long time you had to go to a physician first to go to pt like they had to write you know a, yeah. a document and say hey i'm sending you to pt well something that we're still trying to get in every single u.s state is direct access which means that you don't need a physician note to, to go see a PT. Yes, that would be like, huge. It's a massive thing that we're still trying to advocate for because it, you know, you actually save so much more money not having time. to go to a
0: physician time as well. Um like If you get a bad doctor that doesn't understand an injury. Like I I got lucky because of my granddad an orthopedic surgeon and so he was just like here's your MRI. Here's your prescription to my own physical therapy clinic that I own. Like, it was very easy for me to do, to do that. But for somebody who doesn't have that and they get a doctor that says, oh, it's an adductor strain, because that's what, that's what I was told initially. I was like, oh, it's an adductor strain, rest it, and then do some strengthening and it'll be fine. And it wasn't that. And it got worse. And like, if you have a doctor that's like, oh, it'll be fine. Just do this, 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 and this. And then that's not what it is. That's not that's not good. And I know that's a, that's a problem more generally in the medical saying, Oh, just take this pill. You'll be fine. Instead of, Hey, change your diet, change your this, change your that. And we don't got to go down that rabbit hole, but yeah, direct access to physical therapy is huge because you can go in and then they can be like, okay, well, if you move this, can you like do this with your hand and maybe you can move this and can and you have your full range of motion in that? Instead of just going to a doctor and be like, my shoulder hurts and they'll be like, here's some painkillers. It's like, yep. Not, not helpful. Yep, that's right. Dude,
1: I actually, on my last clinical I just had, shout out to Brandon, he told me there's three alternatives you have with any sort of injury. Medication. Boo. Surgery. Boo. Exercise. Which one of those would you prefer? Exercise. Those those are your only three alternatives. Like, you either, when when your physician tells you, if you're like, oh, yeah, I should get an X-ray or MRI, like, I'm not sure what it is. No. Medication, I mean, sure, you can do that, but what is that going to do for you long term? You're going to get addicted to it. Yeah, exactly. So, your only alternative is you need to work it. Like, a lot of people really undermine the value of that, but like our bodies are meant to move and meant to be active literally every day. That's why your body hates you when you're immobile for a long time. You're like, oh, shoot, like, got to go back to the gym. Like, I haven't been in months. That's where I'm at right now because I've been enjoying myself and working in the clinic and I, that's okay. You deserve it. Yeah. I was getting like a work-life balance back now. Um, and yeah, I know my body is, is not happy with it right now, but I know that it's needed because the body wants to move and wants to get stronger. (laughs) So that's, that's something that My clinical instructor, my PT I worked under always told me was that, I mean, at the end of the day, there's only three things that you can choose between that is your choice to make. Now, two of them are going to get you probably nowhere, or they're going to put you in more pain, or they're going to put you, you know, in a place where you're going to have to come back to therapy and then you're going to be dissatisfied and then you're going to come back and it's just, it's going to be a circle cycle. So you just, yeah. Crazy,
0: man no for sure and one of the other things I learned um from Elisa and and when I was doing that was the amount of injuries that can actually get fixed just by identifying the muscles around the around uh, if it's a joint injury, the muscles around the joint you strengthen them and the support that it gives and then um I had a, this yoga lady on the podcast also who's got her spine is fucked because she got in a car accident. Yeah. And yoga, basically, she has no pain anymore. And when she went in for an x-ray a couple of years later, the doctor was like, you shouldn't be able to like walk without pain right now. And it, and she's yeah. good. So, so she ended up doing kind of similar things where after she was not in pain anymore, she started rolling like jujitsu and stuff. And the jujitsu guys would always be like, hey, this hurts. How do I stretch this? And so she would just go into, she bought an anatomy book and she'd go into the anatomy book and be like, all right, what yoga poses help fix that? And it's, and it's crazy the amount of injuries that if you just like my knee, like my patellars, my patellar tendons were, are still not great. But if I squat, if I make sure that I squat during the week, I'm good. Yep. The weeks that I don't squat, they hurt the most. And I, and I know that. And it's, So I have to make it a priority to get in there, to get into the gym and make sure I'm doing all the exercises and all the different things. And it doesn't even have to be a strictly physical, It's like as long as I'm strengthening, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, it's a
1: sometimes it's just a mind body connection, like a big thing that that I saw with a lot of back pain uh, patients is just cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically just you have to like tell yourself that that doesn't exist like that that pain is not there which Mm. is mind-blowing because
0: there's nothing wrong with them physically
1: maybe not
0: like they
1: might they might have had something that happened like potentially and they are so wrapped around that thought that they actually their body will make them feel pain
0: yeah or it's like a posture thing because they got a weak core or something
1: yeah but a lot of times it's, it's kind of talking yourself into thinking that you're okay and going through like every single exercise without even thinking about it. And there were studies that, that are being done and they're showing positive results and like it's ridiculous. Like it's crazy, but it's kind of true that your mind has so much power over your body that if you wake up every day and you're like, yeah, if I'm gonna hit the gym, but my knee's gonna hurt, like my gym session is gonna be trash. Or if you get up and say, "Yeah, I'm gonna hit the gym and I'm gonna have a really freaking good workout." Go to the gym, have a
0: good workout, boom. I'm a psycho. I'm like, my knee's gonna hurt, but I'm gonna do it anyways. <laughs> just, you, you get the best. Yeah, I do. I, I do both. I do both. <laughs> it's not good. It's probably not healthy. Uh, that's um, funny. I want to switch gears a little bit. Talk yeah. about some recovery stuff. Um, ice plunges are all the rage nowadays. The advertisements for the these like, well, ice plunge bath thingies. I bought one. Um, cupping is another one. Dry needling things like that. Infrared, um, heat and cold, uh, oh. compression. Uh, those compression boots. I think High Price sells them. Um, I got, we, if you want to just go one by one we can do that also but ha, what is based on what you know and what you've learned do you have a preferred method or is it depend on the hum on the person and what they react to better or like
1: yeah or like are sauna you about, or
0: any of these things yeah are you just talking about just like the legitimacy of them yeah legitimacy versus efficacy versus yeah. one is one better for one thing versus another thing and like is cupping better for this and dry needling is better for that too yeah sometimes so
1: what we've learned in school is that some things are actually like obviously level of evidence we learn that in school we, we talk about evidence because we want our stuff to be evidence-based that's like a really big crucial part of physical therapy yeah but a lot of that stuff has relatively good evidence so there's nothing that can't necessarily say it doesn't work yeah as long as you're using it for the right indications like if you're using it for the right things sure Um, but
0: like go like
1: let's go let's go like one by one so like we'll start uh like cupping cupping yeah cupping's pretty pretty legitimate um i think the unique thing about cupping from what i actually because i had a friend a classmate of mine and we just kind of experimented with a cupping set that he bought and my calves were just so tight all the time. And so he would cup my calves and for short term use, it works for maybe a few hours. Um, but then it kind of goes away. Now for him, he had like a bunch, he had piriformis syndrome. He had a bunch of different things going on with his back and his, and his butt basically that he's had for a while, sciatica, a little bit. Um, And he wanted to do some cupping to see if that response, uh, that kind of neurological response would elicit something. And um, initially, like the first few times we did it, it worked for him. But then we, we kind of stopped doing it. And he found that on his last clinical that he got dry needled in his hamstring uh more proximal which is closer to piriformis and he found drastic results from that mm-hmm. so is dry needling legit yeah dry oh legit.
0: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i had it in my oh, doctor yeah <laughs> my doctor and my psoas <laughs> that shit yeah hurt. dude
1: that's that's <laughs> a probably a really that was probably an interesting spot yeah um uh, yeah dry needling is is legit but i will say this is that there was a study might've been a cluster of studies done on shams, which is basically you pretend like you're doing dry needling, let's say for instance, Mm -hmm. and they pretended to do dry needling to these patients. And they found that the patients that
0: had dry needling, what's up? I was going to say, we should also explain to we're talking because you and I both know what they are, but you should explain what what all the things are before we go just so people listening have some context. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, so dry kneeling is basically like, it's very similar to acupuncture except you're actually going through like a little bit deeper. It's not as superficial. You're actually going through the muscle and you can basically piston in all the musculatures depending on where you're at. So you can go through almost the entirety of the body mm-hmm. and a cupping cupping is a little bit more superficial but it basically, these little circular things pump some air into it. It basically pulls uh, the skin up and it draws blood to that area to kind of help with circulation um, and blood flow. Because obviously, if your muscles are getting blood flow, they're going to uh, respond better to activity and load. Um, and so dry kneeling. Okay. Yeah. Back to dry needling. All right. Dry kneeling sham. They found. That when they shammed it, which means that they basically pretended like they dry needled. What they did they do, the just same... poke them? So, yeah, I i don't know. I can't recall how they necessarily did it, but they must have, you know, had some sort of like, like maybe a pinch or something. And they found that they had the same result. Like they improved just by thinking that they had dry needling. Mm. So now does that, that's interesting, right? Because. The, the level of evidence for dry needling is there. I want to say that it's still out of grade B, which obviously like grade A is the highest B, C, D. It's like your stereotypical, like grading scale. But the fact that they had that as a study was really interesting. And that's where I value just therapeutic touch is like the most important factor because If you as a patient, because I've been on both sides of the spectrum, like I obviously now I'm a therapist, I was a patient for 30 bajillion injuries that I've had, just having them like a therapist be so close, and you trust them. I think that that will actually make you better than anything. So that's, mm. that's kind of my response to the dry needling per se, and potentially the cupping too, because we can actually manually do soft tissue massage and deep tissue, like with our hands. And sometimes that works just as well.
0: Yeah. And the that, thing, the thing for me with the dry needling though, and like versus a deep tissue massage or whatever yeah. is at those areas in the legs where the muscles are so thick, because mm-hmm. like, I've also got my quad. Trying, like sometimes some days i would go into physical therapy and i'd be like hey Lisa my my knee because she knew my knees were bad or my patellars were bad and be like hey mike yeah. can you get my quad today and she'd be like sure and it yeah. would just be straight through the like the center of the the quad which is so hard <laughs> to get to in a deep like yeah. my human hands like it just it doesn't work yeah um and the psoas also is interesting because she she went through my side to yeah. get it um obviously because if you for those listening it like goes through kind of your hip area and then wraps around your back and so if you go through where the my injury was or there's organs there so you can't really do that otherwise i probably would have died but um (laughs) but yeah so she hit it from the side and that was crazy because she got it through my side and i'd feel the whole psoas go out through the into where the injury was yeah um And then the same thing with the, with the adductor, like you could feel it the first couple of times I got it there, the jumps were crazy. And then after that, it kind of calmed down and it was a good way for me to, I could play and then get dry needle. Then I would be good for a week. Basically I I was going in weekly. Um, But for those areas, but for other areas, like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I don't know. Like, I also know that people sometimes can't, like the pain like it hurts it's not super pleasant and there was uh one time she brought an intern in with her and she she got my adductor and the intern was like oh it didn't seem too bad and she was like no no no. he handles it well some lady grabbed my arm when I was doing it the other day and I was like oh shit (laughs) yeah
1: yeah you you have to get a certification nowadays uh to get dry needle certified which is yeah I'm glad that they do that because oh, yeah, yeah. If you in a wrong spot. No. You will know. Yeah, no, no, I'm no. If,
0: I'm so happy. She was really good. She was really, I was, no, if she was not cert- certified, i had have been like, I don't yeah. really want you putting a needle in there. Like, that's not a good, um, yeah. Any uh, let's see. Stim, like those little, um, patches yeah. that you pop on and it goes, um, pops the electrical stuff into it. What about those? <laughs> So I actually, so also oh, for those, listeners, so when we go through the next one, just explain what it is and then go into your spiel on it. Yeah.
1: So STEM is basically just electrical, like impulses. Basically they'll put these pads on you. You can basically put them most parts of the body. Um, and basically what it's supposed to do is it's two things that it can do. It either can just kind of be more of a sensory component and it's basically just for increasing sensation to the area. Or if you crank it up a little bit, you can actually elicit like a motor response, basically movement. So I have a really, I think that it is valuable. Um, And I say that because I, I used it a few times on my arm. Now, the funny thing with my arm is that I had, so I think you remember this, Eric, I was in The backseat of a car accident, my junior high school and my radial nerve, which runs basically down the back of the arm and it stays all the way. And it basically innervates, which means like it uh, controls all the muscles of your uh, forearm extensors, everything that brings your wrist up for the most part. So I can't I couldn't do that that well. So I had a little bit actually used on me kind of the later part of my PT time and I found that to be kind of valuable because it felt weird but I could feel it like there was the sensory part of it too but like my arm was like moving and I was like holy cow we revisited it when I was in PT school with uh with my friends and it actually again like I felt it I was like this is like cool because you can actually like see the results happening right in front of you it's like it was nice that I could see that. Now, I haven't, I haven't necessarily used a lot of STEM uh, in my clinicals per se. And that was the only one instance that I actually had it um, as a patient. So the, the validity of STEM, I think is, is legitimate though. I, we didn't necessarily go too much in depth about it, but I know that a lot of athletes like that, or maybe coming back from uh, quadriceps injury, anything. To yeah. I've different. had it. I've had it done on my quad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes you can couple that with movement. Um, and it actually helps like actually get your leg going and like straighten out the leg and then you plant and then it will go on again and then you can plant the leg. So it's really neat when you use it with an, an exercise because um, it just makes it a little bit more valuable. I think that just using a, any sort of, we call modalities, ice, like dry kneeling, any sort of that stuff that's kind of stationary. I I would like more things where I wouldn't want to waste the session and just do ice. I would like something like that if I could get them moving and stuff.
0: Yeah. So I I've done that, that with it. cupping before. Like I've been on the I, table and cupped like a quad and then they've stretched, like basically had it stretched out and then put brought it my yeah. foot in and done done things like that before. That's awesome. That's Kevin and Chris, the guys that have personal trainer certifications. I mean, hey, (laughs)
1: there's a, there, it's the same thing like with Kairos. We, PTs have a huge chiropractors. Love them. There are very good chiropractors out there. And just like PTs, there's probably really, there are really great PTs out there like us. But there's just some that really
0: just, you know. I mean, that's, you get that everywhere Definitely. there's always good ones and not so good ones um let's see what else uh so we did stem stim dry needling cupping uh i don't know we'll say I, we, we talked yeah, a ice 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 is yeah. ice
1: is still ice is still a good a good thing i think I yeah think it's still
0: it's still go, good go for like maybe the the cold plunge or like the or like an ice bath yeah. ice bath vice or versus just like uh local my ice pack yeah.
1: i you know eric i haven't actually looked into a whole like the plunge as much um but i don't know i i can understand that you know it it's it's really just what it brings to you because i feel like it's just dependent on like the person like if a person is really expecting that it's going to make them feel better and then again they're like oh man like i feel good you know, like the whole like cold shower thing, where if you wake up in the morning, you should take cold shower. Like that's going to set your whole day. I mean, th- will it? Yeah, I think so. But not everyone is going to benefit from that. Um, I think, I think the plunge is okay. I just, I don't know, like a whole body that's, it can be kind of dangerous to an extent. Like if If you're in it for too long, if you're not monitored, if you have other like health issues going on, like what if you have a condition and you're like, Holy crap, like I just put myself in danger. But you never see that, you know? But uh I don't know. I feel like there's a there's there's better ways, I guess. I don't really know.
0: Yeah, I feel like ice like a whole plunge a whole plunge is more like neurological rather than physical. Like if like if my legs are sore, I'll do legs only in the ice bath i don't stay in the cold plunge that long like five five eight minutes maybe like um and it's also not ice cold it's like it's like 50 yeah something like that and then when i do an actual ice bath for my legs like if if it's just my legs i'll put like two whole bags of ice in there and it'll be like 35 degrees and i'll just sit in there for like 10 minutes but just my legs not the rest of me um what about like those compression boot things which which ones Uh, the the ones where you like they put them up your whole leg and it just squeezes your your leg like the hyper ice ones or whatever those are called
1: yeah i think those are still i think those are still those are still good um i haven't really had that much exposure to those as much um yeah, I might I might not be the best person with that one per se uh to ask. I don't know too how, much.
0: How long are you in Richmond for? Uh, another two weeks. You should come up at some point and I can show you around Kevin and Chris's gym and you could talk to them and stuff because obviously you're going back to Atlanta, but well, we could talk about it off, offline af- afterwards, yeah. but um Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. i am
1: curious about their philosophy and stuff. Because they,
0: because they have those. Um, but I guess what I'm, what I've noticed about all these different methods, whether it's stem or needling or, um, heat or cupping or the compression, is all designed in some way, shape, or form to get your body to, to notice that there's an area that needs fixing and to elicit. Blood flow to the area essentially is what I've noticed about all of them. Mm-hmm. So, is one better, one better than the other, maybe? But as long as it's working for you, and as long as the blood flow is getting to the area the way that you need it to get there. Yep,
1: yep, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's one per se that like triumphs over the other because they're all different in their own right, but they have the same kind of preface, right? Like you said, I mean, you're just trying to either facilitate or inhibit a response. So they, they all kind of, it's just patient dependent in that sense too. Like some people will hate getting dry needled. And some people will really
0: liking dry needled. Those people are nuts and I'm one of them. <laughs> uh, okay. So so pt school how what's the application process like is it is it any other college or graduate program where you send your transcripts and your grades and you give them an essay or something yep. and yep. same lines mm-hmm. is there okay so you you finish your undergrad what was your what was your undergrad in uh exercise science pre pt oh, so- Oh, got you. So you had one. Okay. Okay. So you, I think we talked about this. You knew from, from your own experience that you wanted to do that from like way back. Yeah. Yeah. So that made it very easy for you to decide what you were, what you were going to do. Okay. So you get in, so you get in to PT school and what's the class structure like? What's the curriculum structure like? What are, what sorts of classes are you learning in what order? Is there a Right. I would imagine most people go into that with some understanding of anatomy already. Yep. So how how does it work? Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's, there's generally, even before you start PT school, there's, they want you to take certain sciences. So it preps you for like physiology because you kind of revisit physiology a bunch, exercise physiology, human physiology, anatomy. Um, you revisit those basically, at least at my program, every program is a little bit different. But my program went right back into X-Phys, Human Phys, Anatomy, and Anatomy Lab, like right off the bat. Now, the interesting thing was, was that with you asking me now is interesting because my first year was during the peak of COVID. So everything for me was online for the most part. But shout out to Lynchburg, University of Lynchburg. I love you guys. Um, we made it work where we actually had in-person stuff. So our anatomy lab we had in person and we had our clinical practice. Uh, it's basically a series that lasted throughout our whole first year, which is, um, you know, measuring with like goniometry, which is basically how we take measurement. Um, it's general range of motion, passive range of motion, active range of motion, active assisted. Um, We learned all of that. Uh, We learned muscle tests of every single joint, muscle, all the things. Uh, We learned just the structure of the different categories like PT primary diagnosis versus a general diagnosis. Um, So that was all encompassing first year. Now, there was also geriatrics, which Kind of pro- it kind of prepped us for our first clinical, which happens, which happened for our class at the beginning of our second year. So we had four total clinicals are basically internships, where you go in and you have to perform a certain percentage of a PT that you work under their caseload. So, unfortunately, but also thankfully, we still had our first clinical even with COVID. And this is in 2021 of June. So we had, usually it's eight weeks, but we, some of us had, majority of us had four weeks and some people had six weeks, but we were in an, like all, all of us were in inpatient facilities and it was nice that we had the geriatrics class because most people in inpatient are, you know, they're going through uh, some sort of injury or they have uh, cancer or they have COVID. (laughs) So, you know, that was, that was good that they, that they had that laid out because my program requires us to do an inpatient because not everyone wants to do inpatient. I, you better respect the heck out of people that do inpatient because that is not an easy job. Um, so then when we finished our, our, that clinical, we come back and we start basically our second year per se. And that's basically encompassing neuro, which is like neurological conditions and techniques for in the fall and in the spring. And we do musculoskeletal, which is ortho orthopedics fall and spring. So those kind of are together. We had a pediatrics class for like little kids and stuff. And then we had a prosthetics class orthotics class. Um, And so all that kind of went together. It was basically a part one in the fall. And then the part two was in the spring. So basically after the second year, we had another clinical, which is clinical number two. And that one was eight weeks. And that was like a choice one. You got to pick where you go with that one. So basically your next three, you got to pick. So I was, I was with basically a, it was a, it was basically a sports one. I worked with a lot of younger gymnasts, uh, was the main population, and uh, some older adults. It was, it was really mixed. I was basically in a, uh, a chiropractic care too. My guy was the only PT in the chiropractic care. Really great guy. Um, and then we come back for the fall. Now, this is the start of our third year. And so we're basically there for eight weeks instead of a full 16 weeks. And we took four classes, we took an imaging class, because it's nice to be able to look at x rays, MRIs, and also from our standpoint, of a doctor, like if a patient were to come to us without going to a doctor first, like, hey, like, what's going on with, with my arm, what's going on with my wrist, we can help kind of look at an image and say, oh, we see that uh, something's going on here. We can point it out so that kind of helps us uh professionally so we had that class we had a differential diagnosis class because that's very important because there's a lot of conditions that are very similar but there's one distinguishing difference between the two and it's mm. nice to know the difference because then it totally changes your plan of care um, so that was a very big class that was probably our biggest class And our other two classes was a professional practice class, um, which was just on uh, policies, rules and regulations, uh, ethical boundaries uh, of the PT realm. And the other class was a, a business class. So it was basically, you know, we had to make up a business with a select group of our classmates and basically present to professionals like who help open clinics. That was pretty cool because eventually I want to open mine. So yeah, I, mine was called finesse PT. It was pretty lit, man. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, once we finished those eight weeks, then basically the only two things that we had left was two clinicals. So then we had clinical number three. I was in Athens, Georgia, go freaking dogs. Uh, so I was in Athens and I was just in a benchmark, which is actually where I accepted my job. So I'll be back, back at the crib. And then my last clinical, which was 16 weeks, was in Calabash, North Carolina, which was kind of a balance uh, specialty clinic, uh, privately owned. This couple basically opened their own clinic. So I wanted to kind of get the business side of things and see how they ran it, because that's what I want to do eventually. Um, So yeah, then we came back, we had to present a case study basically on a patient that we observed and worked with throughout the entirety of our time, basically. Um, And yeah. And then we graduated.
0: Sounds like a lot.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty, it's pretty. Oh. And on top of that, just a quick thing. My program specifically, we had these like, like community groups that we had to do and you had to get like 40 hours every semester with that. So it kind of helped you, you know, Uh, work with the community and stuff and get hours for that so that then you were multifactorial in the sense that you could not only work and do homework and tests and exams but then also provide and do things for Lynchburg which is where I was at but it was nice to have that because we want to be known in the community and help the community that yeah we're not just gonna just do our jobs we want to also do things for the people around us so that also was uh, that that took some time too. <laughs> yeah,
0: hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I have two two thoughts based on your course load type thing. The first, uh, I think let's see which one did I go with for? I didn't hear any sort of nutrition stuff on there, which I know is not like within the realm of technically of mm-hmm. what you guys are doing however comma it's important yes for like there are people that maybe if they ate a little bit better the load on a certain joint would be less and maybe the pain would go away also so like was that talked about or is that something that you guys are that you guys were encouraged to go off and do on your own and get like a nutrition cert or how, or was there any, like, how did that work for you guys?
1: Yeah. So taking a step back. So first year, I forgot to mention that we had a, a pharmacology class, which is on medications. Cause that's, so let me just put that in there. The other thing that we had was we had a cardiopulmonary class, which is like another huge component. Uh, And in that class, as well as our exercise physiology class, like we kind of have to know, we had to know proteins versus carbs versus fats. Like you had to know all those differentials. Now, did they necessarily talk about nutrition? Not exactly. That's something that I also, that's in my warehouse of like, I would love to get a nutrition specialty because like you, I I value that. I think that, that plays a big role in recovery.
0: Oh, for sure. It's like 70, 70% nutrition verse exercise probably yeah. i don't know is that fair maybe 65 70 something yeah. whatever the number is is high it's high is very high
1: yeah it's it's definitely a, a huge component that i felt was something i wish um we had talked more about but obviously the the goal of pt school is to prep you for the exam right that's kind of their end all be all because the exam doesn't necessarily talk about nutrition well, back well, that's, to my
0: earlier rant. That's stupid.
1: <laughs> Eric, I'm gonna if I make a petition to get rid of it, man, you're gonna be the first one on the on... No, no, no. Just when you when you when you open your own clinic, just come hire me. I got you, man. I got you. Yeah, it is it is nuts though, because I mean I, I did I did some uh some research on my end when I was taking my cardiopulmonary class in second year and I was hitting the gym a bunch and we were talking about atherosclerosis which is basically everyone like when you're 20 everyone has some form of it which is basically just what is it it's basically a narrowing of your blood vessels like it's basically plaque plaque builds up in the blood vessels basically leads to everyone having some sort of cardiovascular disease but if you add extra virgin olive oil to your diet like olive oil is amazing it will like yeah. help clear out the plaque. So I was doing like this hard digging, and I was like, dude, because my professor talked about it one time. Like he had a small little five minute rant about it, and I was like, this is legit. Like I love. I'm just gonna make everything with olive oil now, because I'm I don't want
0: to die. You mean you mean like when you're cooking and you do the non-stick stuff on the? No, no. Or or you mean just it's adding like- it to your other to recipes. Dude, you could put it, like, with your pasta. Like, there's a yeah. certain well, to do that, military. but also, oh, sorry, not to completely interrupt, but the sprays that are made of yeah. canola oil or sunflower vegetable oil, like, yep. oh, dude, the worst. Yep. Facts. Yeah. It's horrific. It's yeah, horrendous. All of oil you, know, you know how many protein bars... I've only found one protein bar that does not have some form of sunflower seed oil, canola oil, or vegetable oil. Which and one is R- it? RX bars? RX bars. Okay. Those are the only ones Cliff bars, those Gatorade protein bars, the ones that are supposed to taste like birthday cake that you can only find as sheets and Wawa. It's like, <laughs> like, they all have them. They all have them. Yep. Yeah. It's horrendous. Dude, we should.
1: I'll have to talk to you about protein bars, man. I've been in this funny realm. But they're so them.
0: expensive.
1: They're so expensive, man.
0: It's like eleven dollars for five. Yep. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Eating healthy it's, is expensive.
1: It is, dude. It's a problem. It's a problem. It's 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 easier to eat junk than it is
0: to eat healthy. Like I could yeah. It's it's so hard to find. It's so hard to find. You go anywhere and you're like, can I find something? That just doesn't have things that I can't pronounce on it. The answer is no, you can't. You yes. can't. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's it crazy. Is, I hate it, man. I hate that. Interesting about the nutrition stuff because it's not really, it's not really in the way that the you think of a physical therapist. Nutrition is not really part of it,
1: yeah. but
0: I think the way things have been going. In terms of physical health and people caring about their health, nutrition obviously is a huge part of physical health. Yeah, but and there's not really, like, I don't know any nutritionists. Like, where do I find one of those? <laughs> seriously, though, no, seriously, I just uh, like yeah. it's, it's a joke, but also it's yeah. not a joke. Yeah, there's no, are there nutrition clinics? Are there? every doctor i've gone to i know doesn't know like yeah. family doctors don't really know oh just eat healthy okay well what does yeah. that mean yep and unless you know what it means and you've done your and you've done your own homework
1: yep that's right yeah i mean it's funny cuz yeah you would think that if you were talking to someone you're like man who should i go to for like nutrition stuff, they'll be like, "Oh, just go ask your your primary care doctor," and then your doctor right. will be like, "Oh, go find a dietary nutritionist." And it's like, "Where
0: do I find do them?" Find
1: at? those, but yeah. that's that's something that I I take personally. I'm like, no, I'm no, no. see a physical therapist because like we can do. You it. just told me you didn't have any nutrition classes. I'm not going to you. Not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> i actually see that's what i had to do on the side
0: man it's gonna it's gonna help me with my brand because it will it will if you put if you slap nutrition on the sign i have driving around i've never seen a sign that says nutritionist yep in a strip mall in a doctor's office anywhere yep that's right it's crazy
1: that's that's the
0: plan man i'd be i'd be i'd have like two
1: i'd have like a soccer net like i'd have a like a field of some sort in my gym and then i'd have like in the back i'd have like a nutrition thing with protein bars that don't include the oils
0: i'd say for eric only and then (laughs) you gotta have one after every after every fire game the owners had a stash of rx bars just for me in the corner dude and those gatorade shoes man those things are so good yeah they are
1: (laughs) dallas used those for his half marathon he said they were clutch
0: yeah they probably were like all that. the, all the potassium and stuff. So the other question I had, uh, when yeah. you're talking about the pediat, the pediatrics class, yeah. cause I t- coach kids like 10, 11 years old. And a lot of it for them is, um, some semblance of speed training and obviously to get faster, you need to get stronger, but at some point, so when you're in the pediatrics class, what is the difference between, with them, I don't. I have them do nothing with weight except for like a ten pound medicine ball, nothing yeah. else. And then aside from that, it's all plyos. But I also know that their joints are not formed enough to do certain plyos, so I try to work them into it. And what's crazy, I had um one girl, the oldest, the oldest one. She tweaked her ankle because she didn't clear a hurdle, and I felt bad. And then I didn't because it's a six inch hurdle, and she didn't it's nobody's fault it just happened right the yeah, exercises yeah. were fine her sister was there her sister's 12 her sister cleared no problem like it's fine yeah but for kids you don't i don't want to and this is where my own not having taken any classes can be kind of killer like i know how to make somebody faster yeah But i also don't want i'm being extra conservative with them because i know i don't know but where is, what did you learn in the pediatrics class for how to strengthen, what the joints are, muscle load, all those things for kids, like what's developed and what's not, and at what sections, like what did you learn in that class?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Cause I mean, you said it really, really, uh, really well that, you know, they're, they're still their growth plates. Like, you know, that's where like Oscar's slaughters becomes a big thing is it's the growth plate and stuff. Um. But That's the thing in the knee, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It like rips off, um, and yeah, it's like with the patellar tendon, like that mm-hmm. thing. Just,
0: and I, I had it on both my knees, and that I like,
1: but then it I went away.
0: Really, I might have it on one. Yeah. I have a giant bump on my left kneecap. Do. I don't, I don't know if it's that, but it also didn't show up until I don't remember seeing it until into my twenties, so I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah, but I, the the funny thing about the class that we learned like was never really sports you know it was all about like basically from birth to when they're Mm. two years old that was our main focus of the peds class but I mean that we we didn't learn like you can still strengthen them I think that what you're doing is is fine I think that with kids you just have to make sure that they enjoy what they're doing like as long as you make it functional for them there's really no you know limit because if you can get them started early on and you can get them lifting and doing like hypertrophy training or plyometrics or power training early they're going to be
0: set for later yeah, we're doing tons of plyos yeah because nobody gonna...
1: teaches you how to run when you're a kid yeah exactly you just go out there or, just, and... or to
0: stop yeah you just have terrible form yeah <laughs> or you just yeah or you just don't <laughs> and that causes injuries too like if you don't yeah. know how to stop that's not good either starting is stopping is probably more important than starting to be honest yeah
1: i would say you know i something that is that is important uh for the youth to think about is balance yep make sure that their balance is on point because later on it's going to catch up to you yeah i did not have the best balance and i'm like if i actually focused on my balance like when i was 15. I would be in such a better spot. Now that's not saying I can't, I can't get to that point, but I'm just saying that having that early start will set you up way more and keep you in your prime more years than if you aren't having any sort of balance training and the balance training can be proactive, which is like, you're actually putting yourself in a position of balance and you're able to see it. You can have reactive balance training, which is like, you could like push them and like, that's when they start running that you could like kind of give them like a reactive sort of component to it um there's a bunch of different ways that you can do that
0: um yeah we do a lot of yeah single leg jumps one leg rdls yeah one leg rdls where instead of just stopping you jump up yeah so you like bring your knee all the way up and you jump yeah you gotta land and not put the second foot down um yeah that's good all all sorts of stuff like that
1: yeah you could do like eyes closed stuff too I mean, you can do backwards, backwards walking stuff is really good, like backwards sort of uh, drills. Yeah. There was a a study I I looked at with backwards walking. This is for older adults, but this would probably apply to anyone that the the, it was basically a systematic review, which is like a multitude of randomized control trials, which are like ridiculously good evidence base. And it basically said that. When you did backwards walking, you actually improved their overall balance because your balance encompasses three things, your sensory system, which is like your feet feeling the ground, your vision, because you're not having to rely on the vision as much, because that's like what we rely on 90% of the day. And then your vestibular system, which is your inner ear, which basically controls like your head position when it's in movement. So. If you're, if you do backwards walking, it actually will help all that. So like you could, for kids, then not have to be walking per se, but you could like make them do like, you know, like backwards running, you know, like low to the ground and then explosive and go forward. I mean, you can mm-hmm. do like a bunch of different things with that.
0: Um, yeah. We're doing stuff like that a lot. Yeah, that's good. I do. I split my sessions into half that stuff and then half with the ball with, with like the 10, 11 year olds. Cause it was one-on-one usually, or maybe yep. I'll have two or three and that's what that's how i'll organize it depending on what their game load is like and things like that but yeah it's it's yeah it's cool and they've gotten with with the ball they've gotten loads better because they've gotten better at the other stuff that's why I, i tell the parents often like if you don't see us with the ball it's okay like they're gonna get better um and yeah, and because a lot of them are not very aggressive, so it's easy to get pushed off the ball and yeah. that sort of stuff, getting a stable center of gravity, all that stuff is good. Yeah. Um, Yeah, man. Yeah, that's yeah, a good, good
1: age too, Eric. Like 10-11 is, you know, like that point where they're starting to uh, look into multiple sports. Because mm-hmm. um, that's like right – 10-11 is –
0: I want to say what fourth grade. They're in the one the ones I have are the, fifth. Okay. So yeah, well, that's, they're 11-12. Like they're yeah. turning 12 this year. Yeah.
1: So they're they're either they've already found like a sport that they're that they really like or they're playing multiple sports so like they they need to start doing some sort of strengthening. And then obviously you know the big component with that is diet.
0: Um, yeah.
1: I mean Because all I all I used to eat and drink was chicken nuggets and Gatorade. And then I'd eat any sort of sugar I could get my hands on. But like now that I do that, sounds about right. Yeah. Like now that I'm 25, I try and do that, dude. Freaking disaster. Like I can't do that. Like I actually have to eat legitimate, or else my body's gonna like freaking, I'm gonna hurl on the treadmill
0: or I'm gonna it's horrendous. It's horrendous. Last yeah. night after the game, buddy story, last night after our game, they just gave us cheeseburgers or whatever from the concession stand. And me and um one of my teammates that I was driving back with who eats not great, Kevin, dickhead. Man will, man will eat a game and then – or man will play a game and then have like a seltzer and a bowl of ice cream and be fine. And I'm like, no. So I told him I was – I said – when when i eat this we're going to have to have the windows open the entire way home yeah. like, he's like yeah oh, it's fine yeah. yeah yeah it's crazy it's crazy and for me i tell people that now one of the one of the things i've said this i've said this before on the podcast people that will ask me for health advice and then make fun of me at lunch later that day for eating healthy is the wildest thing i've ever seen in my life like oh what do you eat Like how do you look like that i was like well i try to not eat junk food and i don't drink soda unless it's mixed with alcohol um or <laughs> whatever like things like that right and then we'll go to lunch and i'll get a, like i'll get instead of fries i'll get a vegetable yeah and i will be like oh healthy dude yes i'm like no it's not even about that at this point it's like if i eat a plate of fries my stomach will feel like ass yes yep yeah i can't do it anymore no nope. like so before vacations i have to get myself like a little bit back on the shitty food just yeah, yeah, so yeah i don't just so i don't i'm not that guy that's like yeah, can i get yeah. grilled chicken and broccoli at whatever restaurant that <laughs> serves fish and chips or whatever yeah, 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 i was searching for a chain in my head and i couldn't think of one i don't know you know what i mean though.
1: i know what you mean
0: yeah it's it's crazy that's what actually at the bachelor party, Tommy cooked every every night, and it was basically rice, some sort of meat, and some vegetable, and it was good. We were good. We just went to the store and got loads of chicken and whatever, and it was fine. But there were some other people. Yeah, were are like, oh, "What's this?" Like went out to go get fries and whatever, and then yeah. Yeah, so good times. Yeah, dude. It's it's all in moderation, man. You can still enjoy it, but you got Of course, of course. But it's, it's not about being so strict on it. It's like, if I eat this, I will feel bad. Yeah. I'm not being anal about it. Yep, my parents tell I me mean, all the time. Yeah. Like, I, I have to, like, if
1: I if I get back and, like, I did a few months ago, actually, last month when I was celebrating from when I graduated, like, I was having everything. And I'm like, I stepped on the scale, dude, and I hadn't weighed, like, usually I weigh around 152, 153 when I'm like, mm-hmm. not, not in workout shape. Yeah. Just, just typical. I weighed 159 and I was like, yo, I've never gained nine pounds of freaking fat in
0: years. Yeah. Like, this, this it's is, crazy. This
1: it's like, this is bad.
0: It also happens when you're older. You don't realize too. Yeah. Yeah. Weight, though, actually, that's something I want to touch on. So, weight, like the number, yeah. normally I float around 170, low 170s. And for a little while, when I was hurt, but I was also still lifting, and I also had started to take creatine monohydrate just to help with the recovery. And I was like 178, 179, but I still felt fast. I looked bigger, but I still felt fast. And... For reference, when we went when I went to Mexico, I was one sixty-eight. Yeah. So that's a that's a weight that is unsustainable for me. I can get to it, but it's it's I would have to be so strict with my diet and training that it's unsustainable. So I float around one seventy 170, one, like one seventy two, and it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, but one of the things I always said to myself, I was like, if I just cut out alcohol for two weeks, I'll be back down to one seventy three, whatever. Sure enough. Going to TST, cut out alcohol for two weeks. I was, I was like at 174 this morning and we played last night, trained today. It'll be fine. But the age is just like, the, or not age, the weight being just a number thing is very interesting for somebody who's. Because Jenna would tell me to stop worrying about it. And I was like, what well, I don't, but the numbers, but the number there is not this bad. Yeah, She's like, no, know. you're still, you still just ran that dude down. You're fine. Yep it's weird it's weird i don't know but i've also had the exact same thing that you did when you looked at the scale and you were it, and it's the same difference too just 20 pounds heavier it's like 172 and i was like 179 uh-uh. yeah yeah dude it's uh yeah it you
1: know the funny thing is that like bmi like scares a lot of people um bmi is such where,
0: according to bmi i'm like obese
1: yeah so that's where like BMI is kind of trash to an extent. Like if you could be like an NFL player and be big and bulky, but then small in height, and that will make you in the obese category because it's based on your height and your weight. And that's how they do it. That's I had, like-
0: a, I had a doctor, a patient first tell me I needed to lose weight. And I was like, you're out of your mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's the, the measure that you should look at is more body fat percentage that's yeah. a legitimate one because that's going to tell you how much actual fat like you mm-hmm. can play 172 and still be 12% or even lower. Yeah. Right? Like, you're good. Like, yeah, that's sustainable. Yeah. So it's, getting into
0: single digits is not sustainable though.
1: That's hard. Oh dude. Like I think Cristiano Ronaldo at one point was
0: like five or 6%. Yeah. He was, was five LeBron sure. LeBron was at like four and a half or five yeah. for a while. Yeah, I mean... it's nuts. Well, that's what. Also, side note: Did you know that, um, like the Champions League teams or Premier League teams, all the outfield players have to be single digits. Do they really? Yeah, they don't let them play. Some of the clubs they don't let them play if they're double digits. Really? Yeah, the goal the goalkeepers have they can be eleven or twelve. Yeah, but the outfield players have to be seven, eight, nine. Wow. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Like when we went to Mexico, I was at eight or nine and then um now i'm probably at like 11 i don't know something like that 10 11 that's still really yeah but getting into single digits is it's not it's not sustainable it's so hard it's ridiculous honestly it's absurd yeah
1: i don't know it's hard to balance like work life balance when you do that you know it's like you have to you have to dedicate yourself basically Mm -hmm. it's
0: also hard to figure that number out The only, so I figured it out, um, when I got a membership at the gym and they, it came with a complimentary, you stand on the thing where you put your arms out and put your thumbs on the thing. Yeah. I don't know how to, how you'd figure that out otherwise. Yeah. They, um,
1: there was this thing I did in undergrad and it was basically like a water thing and it basically measures how much water is circulating in your body. Oh, that is a really,
0: I would say that that's probably one of the more legitimate ones. Is that a way to do it? Like, is there a way to do it at home? Or no, for those listening, is like yeah asking asking for a friend. <laughs> uh as of right now, I'm not sure.
1: I would Google it, see what comes up, and we'll see how legitimate it is. But I haven't actually looked into that as much. Um, but I much rather would trust like someone who's like a professional doing it, or like yeah. a machine of some sort, than just like a calculator. You know what I mean? Because I think that you you'd have to actually step on something or do something to actually get yeah. that in.
0: that's what i did it was a machine i stepped on it and you have basically you hold your hands out and right. on the ends you put your thumbs on it and i don't understand exactly how it works but it takes like one foot level the other foot level and it does the whole measurement of mm-hmm. uh left trunk this measurement right one this weight and how much this and that you have and then like the thumbs i don't know. i don't know how it works but yeah it spits out the report seems expensive i don't know right
1: yeah i'm pretty sure that that unit is not cheap because i i had to i was doing that for like a research thing when i was at high point and i was like because at the time i was just running like i was Mm -hmm. was doing like a little bit of lifting but yeah i think i was at like 12 or like 11.5 and i was like is that good and they're like yeah man like you're really good i was like yes and i was like partying like a good <laughs> and i was like dang like you
0: like i have some room i can go party for a week it's yeah, fine
1: <laughs> yeah. i was like all right i should still be okay
0: that's crazy running oh, yeah. is, it's funny you mentioned running because running i can't <laughs> if i only ran my knees would hate me i spend so much more time on a stationary bike yeah and i pump up the resistance so i get my i get the quads in and then i can go run after. Yeah, what's
1: your what's your goal with the bike? Is your goal to just? I don't
0: have one. I play FIFA for forty five minutes while I'm on <laughs> it. That's it. There you go. Yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, I actually I just saw something about fat. Like if you're trying to burn fat, the bike is gonna do you no good.
0: Oh, well, I mean, I don't really care about that. To be honest, I just care about getting my heart rate up and yeah. getting some sort of activation in the quads and hamstrings, basically.
1: Well, it'll do that.
0: So. It'll yeah that. that's interesting though. what do, I don't so we can touch on that actually. So if that doesn't work for fat for fat burning, fat burning is such a weird it's such a weird thing because some people exercise, oh I just want to burn fat like, okay, well, it doesn't work like that, really. You can't just say, you know what? I really don't like that I have fat insert area of body, so I'm gonna let's let's say we'll say legs. so I'm gonna squat like that doesn't that's not what happens no that's how does that work how does it work then from a
1: yeah so it's it's interesting because we can't necessarily isolate where we're trying to get fat out right it's kind Mm -hmm. of where your body can get rid of it like where's it's where's your body's main area that you can get rid of it first but you can't determine that like so if i were to the let's just start with this first. If you were to walk, if you just did a walking program and you did like an hour and a half for five days, every time you hit the hour mark and you're going at like a moderate three to four miles per hour pace, you're going to hit where your body after an hour is going to start burning fat because your body's not going to want to burn your carbs anymore. It's already going to be wanting to burn the fat at that point. So that's where like, It's really weird because it's dependent on your VO2 max. If you know anything about VO2 max, it's like 20 to 30%. You
0: should should explain it though for those listening.
1: Yeah. VO2 max is interesting component. It's VO2 max is basically like how much oxygen consumption your body can take. So it's a way that you can uh, test this if you guys have ever seen it. It's called a wingate test. It's basically you do it on a bike. And you try and go all out for like 30 seconds and you have to keep going like as fast as you can. And that basically tests how much milliers per kilogram per minute of uh, of oxygen and blood like your body can withstand. And like obviously there's different measures for that. The point being is that if you're very sedentary, which means you're really lazy, you're going to have a really low. VO2. So that's where like, as you exercise with any sort of exercise, it's going to increase. So like even just a walking program is going to increase your VO2 max. Cyclists, cyclists have like freaking like a 60, even 70 VO2 max, maybe even higher than that. I might be wrong. It might even be higher than that because they pound miles Yeah. and skiers. Oh, sorry. Like, like uh, snow skiers, mountain skiers theirs are absurd too. Like it's crazy. So,
0: um, going back to your, your question about like, or like, how do you know biking doesn't do it, but walking does, or how does, how does fat burning work generally? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fat
1: is, is a tricky one because obviously that's where with diet people recommend like, don't eat sugars because it's going to stick like fat is going to stick. It's going to be way hard to get rid of. So that's where like, you know, our main source of energy is going to be our carbs that we burn. So most of the time we're going to burn through our carbs first and then go into our fat because your carbs are going to be turned into sugar, just like your fat is basically just sitting there. So your main source of energy in your body is glucose, which is sugar. So it's going to get rid of your sugars first. And then once you burn through those or you get into like kind of that 20 to 30%, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, then your body can start burning that. But that is super hard to get to, especially if you're like sedentary, like if you're lazy, that process takes a while to get to. So that's where they couple like aerobic training with resistance training. Because when you resistance train, you better be, uh, working and sweating because if you're doing heavy enough weights, like you're going to burn, you're going to burn a lot. So, um, it's kind of a mix. It just depends on who you are. Right. It like for you, Eric, I mean, you're active. So you doing resistance training and you doing aerobic training and or anaerobic, like just you do sprints, like windmill sprints or, uh, like Manchester United drill, like
0: Ugh, the worst, dude, the freaking worst.
1: Um, uh, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna burn through not only your carbs and your fats, you're probably going to burn through some protein too. So that's where like athletes have to have a really good protein diet because you're, you might burn through some of your protein too with those workouts, but that's why they pound, they can eat so much like yeah, their diet swimmer's crazy. diet. Crazy. Yeah yeah that's facts nuts yeah, yeah man yeah so it's an interesting paradigm um but it can be done it's just the fat is it's it's a tricky one because yeah it's all dependent on you know uh on what i just said and then you know there's also the nutritional aspect of caloric deficit and and um high protein diet like a lot of that stuff has um, you know, you, if you build more muscle, most of the time you'll lose fat in the process. Um, so it's, it's kind of a toss up, man. It's, it's tough, but yeah. cycling, running, I mean, you actually doing the movement and taking gravity instead of being on a bike, like a stationary bike is not going to do you as much good as you actually taking the force of the earth. And yeah. so I think that that's what the difference is. Yeah, that makes okay, sense. That that viewpoint, if that
0: makes sense. No, it makes total sense. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Food like for thought, is... man. Food for thought. I mean... Grilled
1: chicken. Grilled chicken for thought, man. Grilled, grilled chicken
0: for thought. You stupid. <laughs> Bro, we've been chatting for like an hour, borderline two hours at this point. Dude, heck yeah, man. I feel like this is a good a good place to end it. Dude. Actually, I'll say one more thing. That's why yeah. all the stuff that you just said. That's why it's important to start early, because it makes it easier. It makes it easier as you grow older and your capabilities are not once they what they once were. Makes it easier to stay healthy later in into your life. Um, that's also what I tell the parents of the kids I'm training. I'm not just making them better at soccer. I'm giving them tools to when they get older they'll be healthier. Yep. So. Preach, preach it. Yeah. Dude, All you're
1: right. PT in your own right now,
0: dude. Look, you can <laughs> my doctor in <man>, here. Yeah, <laughs> I went to school for almost as long as <laughs> um Yeah. Any last nickels before we get out of here? Dude, just
1: PT. If you ever see the initials PT, physical therapy. Don't ever think of it as personal. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: I have I have no stake in this game, dude. I have no stake in the game, man. I go to who I go to who knows I go to who knows things. That's it. Yeah, I that's I'll it. Say, I'll say this is that
1: if you have something that is bothering you physically, and it's whether like you think it's a pain of some sort or something, you do not have to go through a physician. You can go straight to a PT office, and they will help you, or they will refer you. To another PT who will help you. So just there keep you up. go. Then the back burner that yeah. you have to go through a doctor to come to us now. That is big news. Check your There's, state though, because some states do, some states don't yet. We're still trying to get that. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: no, that's huge. That that's huge. All right. right, guys. There's no other good place to end this other than now. So I'll just do it now. Peace.